Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Once more and now for the last time, the River Jordan is in the distance and Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus the Prince, he's on the soil of Judea proper. Behind him were Perea and Galilee. Behind him, the ministry of the gospel by word and deed. And before him, the final act of his life toward which every action of his life had led him. He was rejected as the Messiah by his own people. And he'd come to establish an eternal kingdom. And he's been so focused as he walked to Jerusalem to accomplish the gift of giving himself to the whole world and to lay down his life for his friends. You know, he walks ahead of the apostles and followed by them are many disciples, a huge company going up to the Paschal Feast where he was to be the lamb of sacrifice. And finally, Jesus and his followers reached Jericho the city of Palms, only about six hours from Jerusalem. So they say that this ancient city was known for its springs, and the water of these springs was distributed by aqueducts, and along their canals and everywhere you could see this glorious, lush greenery. The climate was perfect under the tropical sky. This was like an Eden, and it stretched in miles in all directions. Uh, they say there were blossoms, the birds, the bees. This was paradise. You know, the Old Testament history of the city of Palms, as Josephus describes it, was the richest part of the country, and many called it a little paradise. Mark Antony gave the business of his orchards, his vineyards, his gardens, as a gift to Cleopatra. And this was a great commercial and military center. So you, you can hopefully imagine the scene the rays of the sun, the fragrance in the air as Jesus arrived on that afternoon in early spring. Josephus tells us that even in winter, the inhabitants of the city could only wear the lightest clothing of linen because the temperature was so perfect. So as Jesus is walking up to the city, it's surrounded by these walls. And along these walls, there's this theater in one spot and another an amphitheater. And, and these had been built by Herod. Uh, there's a new palace. And then Jericho was known for having these world-renowned gardens. Palm trees, they're everywhere. Gardens of roses. And then something known as the sweet-scented balsam. There were plantations of this all around. And the perfume of these flowers was said to be carried out by the wind into the sea. And some believe that's how Jericho also known as the perfumed city, got its name. So this was the Eden of Palestine, the very fairyland of the old world. The river and the Dead Sea, they're about six miles in either direction. And off in the distance, there arose the mountains of Moab with their purple fields of lavender. So you can just take it all in. And towards Jerusalem, there were these bare limestone hills and cliffs. And this was known as the hiding place of many thieves. So Jericho, it was like in this perpetual summer and people just came there all the time. But as Jesus, as he's entering the city, 
Somehow and for some reason, the city is already buzzing with activity. You see, in the streets of Jericho, you've got priests, soldiers, merchants, and then that despised class of tax collectors. Jericho was the central spot for the collection of taxes. And pretty much, they taxed everything at least once. But as bad as the taxes were, there was something about this place. It was a city where dreams came true, kind of like their own Disney World. And Jewish legend has it that the sound of the temple music came from Mount Moriah, and these subtle echoes in the breeze, they sounded like waters in the distance. This place was paradise. The word of Jesus and his disciples somehow had made it to the city before they did. And you know, his name, his works, his teachings, he was very well known or at least very well heard of by the people, the citizens in Jericho. They were always up to date on the latest news, the latest gossip, the latest drama. And like you and I, if we heard about this miracle worker, they had lots of questions. Was he a good man? Had he really done all those miracles? And was that with God's help? Or was it like some satanic magic witchcraft? Was he the Messiah or was he the Antichrist? Would he bring salvation to the world or was he, as some rumored, going to his ruin? To be ruined perhaps by even his own nation as some were talking about. Was he gonna conquer or be destroyed? You know, this man from Nazareth, uh, a lot of people weren't sure, like, they had these, all, these delusions and these ideas. Was this the long-promised Messiah? They just didn't know. So not far from Jericho, there was the city of Bethany, and recently there had been news that came that this Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And so some people thought, this guy is superhuman, he's supernatural, and now he's going up to Jerusalem to defeat his enemies. But they say there was a custom in Jericho that when large groups of visitors came into town, the citizens would line the streets just to show that uh, they were glad that someone had visited their city. But on this particular afternoon, no one in Jericho was gonna miss this opportunity. Jesus, the miracle worker, the rumored Jewish Messiah of celebrity status, well, he was coming into town and word spread like wildfire. Everyone is pressing into the streets. Some people are curious, some people are angry. Ah, some people aren't convinced. There's women holding up their babies. Maybe this Jesus will just bless their baby and, and, and some of them would push their children through the crowd in hopes that maybe later in life they could say, I saw the prophet of Nazareth. You can imagine this solid wall of people on both sides of the street thinking to themselves, I gotta see this guy for myself. Is he really as good as they say? You know, everybody's wondering, why is he here in Jericho? Is he here for a purpose or is he just passing through? Was he here to meet with some of the leading priests, government officials? Was he gonna work a miracle? Was he gonna teach? Was he gonna preach? And then in the midst of all these thousands and thousands of people, it seemed like this ticker tape parade. Everyone seemed glad to get a glimpse of this Jesus. As the whole city came out, everyone has showed up and everyone was welcome. Well, everyone except, it seemed like this one guy was not welcome. In fact, he's unwelcome. And you could hear the cursing at him, the sneers, the insults, as he tries to make a way through the crowd and hopefully get to see this Jesus. Who was this man? Well, he's the chief of the publicans. He's the head of the tax and customs department. And as his name shows, he was a Jew, 
But yet that very name Zacchaeus, or Zacchae, the just, sounded like mockery. And people hated this guy. You get a sense pretty quickly, reading the scripture on this, how disrespected the publicans were, how shady, how nasty they were, and pretty much they were crooks in everyone's eyes. And as we learn later from his confession, Zacchaeus was as guilty as the insults made him sound. This guy was rich, but as rich as he was in wealth, he was poor in spirit. On the outside, very wealthy, but on the inside, he knew more than anyone that he was bankrupt on what mattered in life. He had sold out his nation, his own people, and his own soul for money. And if, as Christ had taught, it was harder for any rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle into a city, what about this man who had gotten rich by legally robbing his own people? Yet despite all this baggage, Zacchaeus was in the crowd this day, and he'd come to see Jesus. Why had he come? What had brought him? Well, as we learn this story, it wasn't just curiosity. There's something more, and perhaps you know that feeling when your conscience has gnawed at you for what seems like a lifetime, and something has caused you to show up like you have today. Had Zacchaeus heard Jesus speak before? Had he just heard of him? Had he heard that Jesus was so unlike those harsh leaders and teachers of Israel who refused all hope that, that there was a life beyond this, that heaven could even accept men like Zacchaeus? This is Jesus. He'd heard that he doesn't reject people just because they're a publican or a sinner. What was it? What was it about this man? Was it, what was drawing Zacchaeus? Maybe it was just the Holy Spirit that draws on us. And if we look back, we can ask the same question of what was it that brought you to a point of decision where you gave your heart, if you have, to the, to the hands of Jesus? As Murphy's Law would have it though on this day, everything that could go wrong had gone wrong for Zacchaeus. It seemed like he was not gonna be able to make it to see the man himself. It's like one of those dreams where you keep getting close and again and again and it never happens. So you imagine this scene. Zacchaeus is short. He's so short, he's known for it. One author describes it like this. The story reads almost like a symbolical story of someone who's trying to see Jesus, but can't push through the, the crowd. And, and whether it's because they're self-righteous or they're conscious of their own sins, something is standing in the way between him and the Savior. And so finally, Zacchaeus climbs up one of those beautiful sycamore trees. And this was located, they say, in someone's garden perhaps close to his own house, along the road that he knows Jesus is coming down this road. And he hears them coming down the street, getting closer. You can imagine him frantically trying to climb this tree. And as Jesus begins to pass under the overhanging branches of that sycamore tree, and the crowd is closing in on him, only one thought flooded the mind of Zacchaeus. And then we're told it happened. As he's holding onto the branch of this tree for dear life, he sees those piercing eyes out of which it seemed like heaven was looking down on earth somehow. Was he dreaming? Somehow Jesus is looking up at him. That face of grace never to be forgotten for the rest of Zacchaeus' life. And that face let him know that he was recognized as if Jesus knew him. And that, and that was the strange thing. 
because Jesus then utters this invitation for himself, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus is wondering, and others are wondering, does Jesus know Zacchaeus? Have they met before? What in the world is going on? Or did Jesus just hear the heart cry of this man up in a tree? You know, there's details in this story that lead us to believe that the Father in heaven had whispered into the consciousness of Jesus that this must happen and that this was the purpose for the visit to this city on this day. So immediately Zacchaeus seems to have wings. He jumps down, scrambles down, perhaps falls down out of this tree, thrilled that this man was coming to his house. None of this made sense, but somehow deep within his soul, he has this peace and this joy like he'd never had before. And so the sun is setting and it's like Zacchaeus was experiencing all the heaven he had ever imagined. And then as with all moments that seem too good to be true, Zacchaeus begins to hear the insults. It's like the volume of his soul is turned down and the insults and the anger all through the crowd start being hurled at him. And now he's confused. Why would Jesus go to his house? People were saying, why would you go to this man's house? This man is nasty. Zacchaeus is bad news. But it's in moments of crisis like this, sometimes we awake like we've been in a dream. And we're told in this very moment, Zacchaeus realized how guilty he was of being so selfish in life. Jesus hadn't said any other word to him. And in that moment, Zacchaeus saw it all. What his past had been, what his present was, and what his future must be. But what made all this change? I think it's that beautiful promise in scripture where it says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When someone sees how much Jesus loves them personally and how much they deserve and yet what Jesus give them in, in place of punishment and condemnation, he gives them this grace, this unmerited favor. This is what salvation is. That our salvation, our selfishness is removed and Jesus gives us something else. So Zacchaeus is standing there. This overwhelming flood of guilt and conviction are now swallowed by this joy of the present. He's with Jesus. This is all he ever hoped it would be. And whatever it took, whatever it cost, it was his new life. He would make sure this is what he kept and held on to. He'd sell all he had in order to retain this treasure. And then immediately Zacchaeus, he says, I'm gonna give fourfold back. I'm gonna make reparations for everything that I have stolen. That was according to Exodus 22 verse one. And, and I'll give to the poor and he just starts to feel this repentance and starts to say what he's gonna do. And I want you to think about this. It didn't take a sermon, not even a long discussion. This was the Holy Spirit in a matter of seconds and minutes that his whole life, the current of his whole life was turned because of how Jesus looked at him. And Jesus acted like he knew him. He acted like he liked him. He acted like this was a genuine love. Zacchaeus didn't even love himself. I hope somebody listening can resonate with this story. It was in a moment before Jesus had ever spoken a word to him. All in that silence that the Spirit of God was whispering to Zacchaeus and he is listening. And then we're told Jesus speaks up and says, this day salvation came to this house literally and spiritually. And this man is also a son of Abraham. And as regards this man and all men, so long as time endures, 
the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're told that this evangelistic record, strangely, doesn't talk much about the night that Jesus and Zacchaeus spend time together. We don't know all the details of this moment in the history of the kingdom of heaven. But you know those details of your own soul in a moment, and Jesus knows them. So I just wanna tell you, if you're tired of fighting a losing battle, I wanna encourage you to not give up. I wanna encourage you to absolutely give up. Don't even consider it. You need to get to the point where you say, I can't save myself, I don't have it all figured out, and Lord, I need some help. And I wanna challenge you to say a prayer, Lord, do for me what I cannot do for myself. Because that is a prayer that never goes unanswered. And I hope you'll be bold enough and courageous enough to admit all the things you're doing in your life to try and bring yourself closer to Jesus. It took Jesus staring at Zacchaeus dangling from a tree and asserting himself and saying, I'm coming to your house today. And I think he wants to do the same with us. I wanna bust into your life today. And all we have to do is say, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds great. It's not complicated. I hope this can encourage you. I hope it can inspire you. And I wanna pray with you before we go. Lord, somebody's listening to this that needs to know that all the things they're doing to try and save themselves are worthless, are a waste of time, and I know that you can do something to save them from themselves. And we thank you for this story that reminds us, in a look, the destiny of a man and everyone he had influence on changed. And we believe in this moment you can do the same for us. Thank you for hearing this prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.